0: So 2020, huh? 2020. Anybody make some big 2020 plans this year? Of course not. It's Christ City. You're like, I don't believe in these things. This is silly. Only foolish people do those things. 2020, come on. All right. So like, there's a lot to play off of a 2020, you know, like you have 2020 vision. You're seeing clearly. No, nobody. Okay. So yeah, welcome back. So, you know, resolutions are a very normal thing. But I think a lot of us tend to get, we cut to points in life where we're like, I don't do resolutions. These things are silly, right? They're for people who are like 18 and their body works and their life works. Me, I'm 25 and life sucks. You know what I mean? Like, you've already experienced enough life where your life doesn't work now and you're ready to to just just move on. Like it's, no, like it, 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 we tend to get cynical. Would you agree with New Year's? Like new year, new you. And you're like whatever. Like I'm not going to be part of the 75 percent who, within two weeks, nothing works. So I'd rather I'd rather not. Okay, and then then I won't look silly and stupid like everybody else. That's what I'll do. And so then we end up being the people who like like are on Instagram but don't do anything on Instagram, right? Um, or the people who just like to like drop bombs and comments on Facebook because. We want to ruin someone else's life because our life is ruined. Whatever it may be. But I think there's a lot attached to that. Because here's the deal, if we're really honest. Let's be really honest for a minute. All of us want things to change. Right? Like, nobody's nobody's rolling into 2020 going, I'm good. So... Um, all of us, ultimately, though, want things to change. Like, nobody's saying here, I love being, like, I just want to be lonely and miserable. Like, uh, maybe certain parts of your day if you're an Enneagram 4. But other than that, no one's saying, I just want to be lonely. People are like, I think I want to move into a relationship. I, I want to I connect. Want, I, want, I want to share this life with somebody Maybe it's like a job and a situation there with your job where you're going like, like nobody's like, you know what I love? I love an overbearing boss who overlooks me and underpays me. Yay. No. Like all of us are wanting change. The thing is, if you experience enough hurts in life, eventually you get to where you're saying change can't happen. But what this year and then even what this church calendar season of Epiphany tells us is, change is honestly and ultimately inevitable. The question is, can we step into it? And I think that's what Jesus is showing us here because there's movement and he must step into that movement just like we must as well. You know, when we look at this passage, we'll throw it up here just for a little backdrop. We have Matthew starting at the beginning of chapter three and it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what's happening there? Well, Jewish people are under the thumb of Rome. And they're used to it historically, and they keep waiting for change, but change doesn't come people will, Maccabeans and others, will like rise up historically, but then they're slaughtered by the heavy-handed power at the time. And so there's just this indentured servitude mindset that steps into the reality of every Jewish person that change doesn't happen, change can't happen. See, if you rise up and try to seek for change, you will be pushed down, maybe even killed. And yet, we got this person that says that he eats like honey and locusts and dresses like it sounds like he's honestly, it sounds like he's from Cooper Young. I'll be honest with you, with the way they describe him, like that's somebody on my street, right? Like kind of Memphis hippie. We're good with that. Good with that. But it's like he's got uh, like he's got some momentum going here. And he's almost he's in the wilderness. It almost seems like a vacuum, but whatever he's doing is picking up steam because there's people who want to like be a part of this change because they're tired of things being the same. And so in this in this wilderness out in the desert, people start coming to him. And I mean, like John is John is wild. He's definitely He's definitely at times an unhealthy Enneagram Eight, right? He's good with confrontation, right? But probably a little bit too much at times. And so, like, even religious leaders who are in the back pockets of Rome, they want change. So they show up to him, and here's how he greets them. He says to them, "You brood of vipers!" Like, hey, when we part of your your movement, you're like brood of viper. Get out of here, right? Like, he is serious. He's he's not trying to like, make friends and influence people here. He just wants there to be change. And he's building it up. He goes on to say in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, look back at verse one here. He says in verse one, he goes, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness to Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Kingdom of heaven is code, If you see it there, Matthew's the only gospel that does this because Matthew's very Jewish in how, in the people he's writing to. Kingdom of heaven is a very Jewish term to talk about a political movement. Kingdom of heaven is kingdom of God. And there was only one king at that time, right? And that was Caesar. So this is really politically charged. Anyone who would tell you the Bible isn't politically charged isn't reading the Bible, that's just about spirituality and good feelings and get my devotion in, they are so separate and disconnected from what's happening here. Because what's happening here is a change, a revolution. The question is, who's going to lead this revolution? Who's going to bring the change for things to finally be different? And for me to maybe even have more joy and happiness. Because honestly, ultimately, we're trying not just to be happy But we're actually going like, I just, I want to be able to be at peace. Like, I just want to be at peace in life. And yet here they can't be. So John is preaching this message of change. And then it says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not not worthy to carry. So he's really building it up that whoever this person that's gonna step in here and bring change, like they're gonna be awesome. Like they're gonna be awesome. That's like no questions asked. Like here's our candidate. Boom, let's go here. Like here's the person who's gonna be the new president. Boom, there it is right there. And then it says, verse 13, then came Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. First off, just so we're all clear, the Jordan River like this isn't like germantown country club place right okay like this is like area pool let's all just go hang out there we have no idea what's happening there in the pool but it's our only access point for water so let's just go hang there okay like lots of people ultimately if you can afford not to go to the jordan river you don't go the jordan river okay it's just really dirty really nasty and so, but that's where this is happening. So it says that hey, Jesus goes there to meet John at the Jordan River, but it says he's from Galilee. Now, Galilee isn't like something you want. You don't put that on a resume, like where'd, where'd you get your education? You know that kind of thing. You don't put Galilee. Galilee is like backwoods, small town fisher fisherman, right? Like no money. Forgotten. You're not excited about that. Like you, you want to put like, I lived in like like New York or I lived in whatever. You don't want to say like Ren, Mississippi, right? Like that's that's what I could say on wren Mississippi, like, where is Ren? Exactly. Have you no, you've never been there, right? More callous than people. Now i I love Ren, but that was a long time. I never would even mention like, that I was from Missis- like, Mississippi. Like somebody, I, somebody, it wasn't somebody here. Somebody I said, like, where are you from? And I said, Mississippi. And they said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, what? You don't even know my last name. What are you doing right now? This is really like not okay socially. But like I can say I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't. But like, it says Jesus from Galilee. Listen, attached to that, If someone's stepping like, hey, I'm your candidate, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to push this reform, and guess what? I have this kind of education, which dwarfs compared to anything you've ever imagined that you could have gotten, all right? I come from this kind of background, like where you come, they have way more class. Like you wouldn't look at this candidate and be like, oh, that's good, let's do that. And yet here's Jesus starting his candidacy. He shows up. And what's so interesting is, is that he then is going to be baptized into this movement that John started. Like, it's not Jesus is going, okay, John, I got this. Thanks, buddy. I, you're kind of weird, but I got this. No, Jesus is going like, hey, I'm going to just step in line here. And it says that he was baptized. Now, um, baptism isn't new, like it isn't a um, just a... Uh, a North American evangelical thing. If you grew up here in the states, right? Um, it's not even a Christian thing. Baptism is connected to even as far back as the Book of Leviticus, because the idea, the 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 word for baptism they would use is uh, tavila. Everybody say tavila, tavila, right? Tavila, and tavila would be like the act of being cleansed, the act of being cleansed. You you would need. Tevilla, it's talked about Leviticus as purification. So whenever you see the purification laws in Leviticus, like that's just that word tevilla attached to it, that these are cleansing. Now, it's weird that you got to stay outside the camp for seven days and bathe for seven days, but you're you're getting cleansed to come back in, right? So tevilla. But then you had to also have the, the place of water, which is called mikvah. Everybody say mikvah. So you have tevila and mikvah, and mikvah was the body and the source used for your tevilah to happen, for your cleansing to happen. And over time, what happened is this became like an initiation point. It became a point to like wash away what's was before and to step into what was here. It got connected to conversion. So even when Jewish people were exiled in, like, Babylon, they started converting people to Judaism. So they would have to, they'd call it, we're going to have Tevila, and we need to find a mikveh. Even if you go now, like, you see ruins all over uh, modern-day Palestine, Israel, of these places where there was a place you'd go in the mikveh for you to be cleansed. And we're like, what is Jesus being cleansed from here? Like, he's Jesus. He's perfect, right? What's Jesus being cleansed from here? That's what a very limited view of the Bible would try to, try to give us, right? Like, okay, well, he's just doing his weird thing. Like, Jesus does so many weird things sometimes. Like, why are you doing it this way? Here's, here's what's happening. Jesus is understanding something, that there is something old to let go of and something new to step into, and we need moments of initiation, moments to show us that, even like a new year. Like sometimes resets are good. Sometimes having moments where we go, this now stops, so this can now begin, is a very needed part of our humanity. And if we never know how to stop something, we'll never know how to start something. We're always just trying to start more things. And in turn, we end up living this endless cycle of a compounded shame narrative of what we've never done instead of what we could do. And Jesus clearly sees something here. You always knew me as this guy from Galilee. But things are about to change. I'm about to step into something more here. And so what Jesus does is, it says in verse 16, 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Alighting, what a great word on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Like, you know, the first thing that happens when Jesus has this new beginning isn't, all right, y'all, now here's the game plan. And here's how it's all going to work. Those aren't the first words he gets. He doesn't get his marching orders from God. The very first thing Jesus gets in this moment of baptism, in this moment of tevilah, of change, of a reset, is assurance. He doesn't get marching orders of resolutions, of here's what you got to go get done this year. He is getting not resolutions, but reassurance. Like he's getting Identity which is really important because I don't know if a lot of us know how to stop long enough to really know what our identity is so that we can step into the things maybe that we're meant to. You know, there's this line that we've thrown around here a lot and that many of us grew up knowing what we were meant to do so that therefore we'll do what we got to do so that one day we'll be that person. Right? What you're meant to do so you'll do what you got to do to one day be that person. But the truth of the matter is until you learn how to be who you are, you'll never do what you're meant to do so that you'll also have what you're meant to have one day. Like what a lot of us go, I'm meant to go and have these things in life, so I'm going to do whatever i got to do so that one day I can be that person. And you get to your 40s, you get to your 50s, and you're still not that person. Like I was meant to have a better hairline. I knew it when I was 15. I'm meant to have a better hairline. And what do I have? Not that. The thing is, I appreciate hairlines more than any other person you've ever met your whole life. Some of you are ruining, like, my life by me looking at what you're doing with your hair. Like, I need you to do better with, I'm joking. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I got to stop. That's for a personal conversation with somebody. All right, so, no, like, it's, you know what you're meant to have, so you're going to do whatever you got to do so you can have that and be that person that you realize something. I'm not ever going to be that person. But what if the script got flipped and what if you could actually be good with who you are so that you could step into whatever's in front of you to do and then maybe one day you'll have a lot of those things you've been hoping you could have. Instead of chasing something that never gives you the fulfillment, maybe it's being good with where you are. But how are you going to be good with where you are and how are you going to be able to step out of that except if you have reassurance The kind of reassurance that we see Jesus having here. You see, Jesus, for him to step into all that was in front of him, he had to acknowledge his limitations of shame. That's what shame is. And what's the shame? Galilee. Like, he's not talking about how he's popping in from New York, he's ready to go do some things. No. He's like, I just came from the backwoods here and, like, out in the delta is that okay? And you're like, well, I don't know if that's okay or not. And he goes, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to be defined by that. I'm not going to be defined by what I'm not. I'm just going to let myself be defined by who I am. And there's this breaking that happens so that he can step into what's in front of him. I think for a lot of us this morning, that's what we need. I think there's a lot of times a compounded amount of shame that comes with all the years of resolutions made that we never met. And we become defined by what we're not then by who we are. Our identity lies in how I failed time and time again to kick this habit. My identity is I've never met a person who really wants to be with me the same way I want to be with them. Our identity is... Of our ethnic background and how we've been treated by others and racism, our identity is well. I've never, I've never gotten to the weight I want, and I just, I just think I look horrible. I can't stand. I mean, there's all kind of things that come attached with that, and then that society like compounds as well. The very first commercial after the ball dropped, right? On New Year's in New York, we were watching it at eleven o'clock because there's no way we were staying up till midnight at 11 o'clock, immediately was a local gym, right? Like, people just fit. Like, it wasn't me going into a local gym, like, like barely getting in there, like, oh, my God. Like, uh, how many more minutes do I have? And it's, like, only been five minutes on the elliptical, right? It's the person who's got it all together, and it's working for them. And then you're being compounded with more of the narrative. Well, like, I don't look like them. Why even try? <laughs> Why even start? And I think a lot of times our shame holds us back from the potential in front of us. So how do we deal with that? Well, first, I think um, what we see, at least from Jesus, is that we'll never be able to step into what's next until we deal with what was that we believed in. In In your bulletin, there's a quote from Henry Nowen. It said, it says, Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. My dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. Let's put the the verses 16 and 17 back up here for a second. Just look at that last line. This is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Some of your translations may say, this is my beloved. What I love about that word is, um, it is full acceptance. It's full acceptance. You know, change never happens till you fully accept something. What's funny is we think it's the rejection of something that needs to change something. But really, it's the acceptance of what is. Like Jesus is fully accepted. There's nothing about him that needs to change at that moment. He is enveloped with love. Are you enveloped with love? Like when you look yourself in the mirror, what do you think? What do you say? And who handed that to you? See, until we address those things, we'll always think that who we are is not enough. Now, trust me, I'm not calling you God. But I am saying you are enough. You may have some flaws and defects that you need to work on, but you are not this ear-like you're not, you're not this sick person that just is messing everything up in life. And if you just change, things will be better. Like, you are the beloved. See, until we can start realizing that it takes us going, I am not going to reject myself because I'm loved, then until that happens, we won't be able to step into the big things we have in front of us this year. Because what will happen is, if we fail at those things or things don't happen, they'll just compound the narrative that goes. You see, there you go. That's what I deserved. I, I, that's what I deserved. i deserved the rejection. I deserved. I deserved life not working. And then we'll develop this attitude that you see, God's against me. Jacob, I love you. Esau, I hated. I guess I'm Esau. Then life's not working. God's against me. No, maybe it's different. But here's what we need. We're going to need something for that to happen. And that's the second thing that Jesus finds here. Because if Jesus would have just simply popped out of the water with no voice, I don't know what that journey would have been like for him. Because if you look after this, chapter 4, it says, then, then, then he goes through the wilderness. And then that's when Satan comes to him. If you don't have the assurances you need, you won't be able to step into the, the problems in front of you. So what does Jesus get? He gets God's voice. Now go back to when we were doing our liturgy. Think about this. The liturgy around Psalm, the call to worship, Psalm 29, the voice of God, the voice of God and the the trembling that happens with the voice of God. Uh, And within the Hebrew, it's also sound of God. The sound, what does God sound like? What does God sound like? So we would get caught up going the voice of God. Like this is a weird situation here. Like, he pops out of the water, and I guess people hear a voice from somewhere. Like, could it have been, like, somebody in the background, you know, like, this is my beloved, beloved, you know. that? No, like, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from somewhere. And people are going, what was that voice? What was that noise? And, and Jesus hears it clearly. What does God sound like? What does God sound like to you? Now, trust me, I'm not going to try to pull some TBN stunt on you, like tithe extra this week, and I'll give you a three pointers how to hear God's voice, all right? I mean, tithe, but we won't get any pointers. So let me try to tithe in this way. A lot of things we enjoyed while I was away the last couple of months, we got a lot of time with Maxine. I got to, like, um, get up in the morning and take Shark to school, and then come home, and us just... Spend time at the No Maxine. I got to go pick up Charlotte and um, made a lot of eggs. That was fun. I got really good at eggs. I think I'm better at you than you when it comes to making scrambled eggs. I'm 95% sure of that. Um, had Sunday brunch. That was our worship time, like pancakes, a lot of pancakes. I'm good there. Um, but the thing that wasn't fun at all uh, was Charlotte has a new thing with God now. Like if you've been around long enough, you know my daughter's been on a journey becoming good with Jesus, right? Like a year ago at this time, she wanted to kill him. No, no, that was Easter. I remember Easter, she she had a bad dream, and she's like, if I see him again in my dreams, I'm going to kill him. Like, that's what she said about Jesus. And I was like, no, let's not do that. Let's work on this, you know. Um, and then it got really sweet where she's like, no, I really do. Like, I wish Jesus could be here. I'm like, oh, that's so great, babe. Well, and here's the thing: we don't teach. Oh, this sounds weird from a pastor. We don't really teach Bible at our house because it's a weird book, and it's a lot going in there, going on in there. Like we don't we don't try to pull off like Noah's Ark. You know why, right? Like just genocide, right? Like okay, here's how it works, kiddo. You know so. Like it's just a hard thing that's happening in the Bible, and I, I trust what's happening in CCK. So we talk about Bible, we read Bible stories, but we're not trying to talk through atonement theories. Are you with me? Right? Like we're not pulling that one with a five-year-old at home. But somehow, some way, somebody wasn't here because I checked. Uh, I think it was her grandmother, her mimo. Okay, I think her, I think she watched like a Jesus cartoon on Easter because I came home. Uh, I, I was putting her bed one night, and she said, "Daddy." I don't wanna die on the cross like the Christ. Now I was like, first off, good theology. Like, it's important to separate Jesus and the Christ. So I was proud of that. She's an Abbey. Second though, I was like, who told you this? She goes, She goes. well, I don't wanna be lost because if you get lost, the soldiers come and get you and then they put you on the cross and I don't wanna die on the cross. Every freaking night. For the last month, that was her thing. I don't want to die on the cross. And so at first, I'm like, okay, baby, you're not going to die on the cross. Like, you're not going to die on the cross. Here's why. I'm walking her through it. Like, first off, we don't even use those methods in the world anymore, at least that I know of, okay? Like, like, second, that was really just you know, like, that's a story there, just don't, you know what, and then I got to where, like, just, you're not gonna die on the cross. Well, and then, like, she'd be like, but I really don't want to die on the cross, after a 10-minute discussion. And so this happened every night, to where eventually I'd walk out the door and shut it. I'm like, you're not gonna die on the cross, you know, and like, you could just hear me, you'll hear me in my house, random times at night, going, you're not gonna die on the cross, you're not gonna die on the cross, you're not gonna die on the cross, because she's so convinced she's gonna die on the cross. She, I don't know, maybe Suzanne said it was just, she hasn't done it in the last week. I was just thinking about it last night because I, I was going to use it in the sermon. What helped her get, hopefully, hopefully, what helped her get over her fear of dying on the cross? <laughs> it was her father's words of assurance. She didn't get over it because I told her to get over it. We had long, drawn out conversations about crosses. <laughs> And the Christ, She's so cute. You know, you know, the Christ and the cross, I don't want to die on the cross. I'm like, us. Oh, you know, we, we talk about those things over and 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 over again because that's what it took for her to be reassured by her daddy that she wasn't going to die on the cross. We need voices that reassure us not of our own grandeur. We're not talking about that. We're talking about voices that reassure us that God is near, that God loves us, that God is with us. You know, growing up, those kind of voices ended up being a lot of times just straight from the Bible. Like I would read on my own and get that. It might even be from church, but as I I grew, I found that it was always, it never came from the same place all the time. Like it can come from Like over the last few years, it's been a lot, maybe like in therapy, I get that. Maybe it's been a lot with uh, my children, I get that. Like God's voice can come from different places in your life, the question is, are you open to it or can it only come to you one way? If you're going to try to read your Bible and force it in you, it may not always come that way. But if you're willing to risk a relationship with someone, it may come that way. It may not come the way that like, you know what? I'm good. I'm a worth of health, and yet everything oozes out of you that you need some help. That maybe if you go see a therapist or talk with someone, things can change, and then you find God's voice coming to you. My point is this. We need God's voice. We need to know that this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Until we have that, nothing changes this year. That's your thing. Whatever it takes for you to go get that thing, then the other stuff comes. And here's how you know that it's God's voice. It's absent of shame and judgment. It looks at you and says, I love you. No buts. I think you're wonderfully, beautifully made. No asterisk. I'm with you, no conditions. Whatever it means for you and for me, but for you to go get that, that's the thing that's worth it. And if you're finding it with a person in this room, spend more time with the person in that room. If you're not finding it with someone in this room or someone else in your family, stop spending time with that person. For now, not ever, for now. Go do what you gotta do for you to know that God is with you so that you then can step into more of the things that God has for you. And I believe those things are change, movement, things being different. Let's pray. So, Father, now as we come to the table, we are reminded symbolically here, but even more than symbolically, deeply, emotionally, of the work that Christ has done for us, of what your Son not only accomplished for us, but communicated to us. And so as we eat of this bread and drink of this wine and juice this morning, we pray that we'd be able to sense your presence and know that you love us, you're with us, you're for us. And that change is possible, especially when we're willing to see that we are the beloved